I'm going to take a few minutes tonight to uh, just reminisce for a few minutes, if that's all right for a 90-year-old man. I have a lot in the past, but uh, thank God I have a great future. But uh, in, in uh, 1965, uh, my wife, Virginia, my daughter, Renee, and our son, Tim, left from Harvey, Illinois, close by here. And went to O'Hara Field, and we got on the plane and flew to Canada, and then from Canada to Japan. And the first thing you do is try to find a place to live, try to find some furniture and so forth, and that's not an easy thing. It was not at that time in Japan. But uh, uh, soon after we got there, Virginia and I began language study. And, you know, I'd, I'd been in the ministry for 10 years. I'd pastored for eight years. I'd, I, I had uh, taught in uh, Bible colleges. I'd been uh, soul winning. I'd pastored, you know, just uh, real active. And uh, all of a sudden, I start to learn Japanese. Now, the first time I saw a Japanese Bible, it scared the life out of me. I looked at it, and there was not a word in the Bible. Nothing that looked like a word. It looked like the chickens had been out in a muddy field and got their feet muddy and got on the paper and then they put all that paper together. And my thought was this. Dear Lord, I'm from Kentucky. We have a hard time with English and you expect me to learn a language like that. And uh, when, when I went to Japan as a missionary... Uh, I was petrified to think that I had to try to learn Japanese. Uh, and by the way, after I'd been in language school about three months, all of a sudden I realized that all of my fears were justified. Uh, it was just as hard as I had ever imagined. But by the grace of God and with a lot of study and a lot of help from my Japanese teacher and my dear wife, Virginia, uh, I, I learned enough to preach and teach and so forth uh, in, in the Japanese language. Uh, and we went to Japan in February of 1965. In February of 1966, uh, God laid on my heart to start a church in Osaka, Japan. Uh, it was a place called Cindy Newtown. Uh, six months before we started the church, nobody lived there. They built big high-rise apartments, and by the time we started the church, there were 80,000 people that were living there. And the very first night, uh, it, it was a, one of the most exciting times in my whole life. Uh, we, sometimes in Japan, we would pass out 50, 75,000 pamphlets, and nobody would come as a result. But in that town, we went door to door and passed out pamphlets in every apartment in the place. And the little building we had, and it was the, the room we had, only seated about 60 people. Uh, but that would be a big church in Japan. Anyway, the building began to fill up. And uh, the, the, the room that we had rented on the second floor, and I would go downstairs, introduce the people, tell them where to go and so forth. And we had some ushers down there, too, other people that were helping us. And a, and a young man came, and he spoke very good English. And he had the pamphlet, and it had my picture on one side, 
and it had Keita Takagi's picture on the other side, uh, he was my interpreter. I'd only been there a year, so I wasn't preaching in Japanese yet. And when he began to speak to me, he said, Mr. Sis, I, I want you to know that I don't have any interest in Christianity. I understand you're speaking through an interpreter tonight, and I came here to practice my English. And I got all excited about that, amen? And I began to think, I didn't come 7,000 miles so somebody could practice English. And then I thought, you're in bad shape because my Kentucky English is nothing for anybody to practice on. So we are both in bad shape. <laughs> but before the service that night, I went to a prayer meeting with some missionaries and got my heart right and, and preached a very simple gospel message. Now, I'd been told by some older missionaries that you shouldn't give an invitation right away. And I could not bear the fact of preaching the gospel and not giving an invitation. But we had a wonderful song service, uh, some special singing by missionary friends, and ju just a wonderful service. And at the end of the service, I asked them to bow their head, close their eyes, and then I said, <clears throat> now you have heard the message tonight, simple gospel message. And if you would like to know for sure that you're saved and going to heaven, I would like for you just to lift your hand. Now, if you've ever studied the evangelistic ministry in Japan, uh, you'll know what a miracle this is. But immediately, 11 hands went up. Among those 11 hands was that young man. And uh, since he spoke English, I dealt with him, okay? His name was Sogoro Ogawa. And he began to tell me uh, the first time I've heard that message. And he said, uh, uh, I have contemplated suicide. I learned that later that he had. And he said he was from a very wealthy family in Imeji, Japan. But he said, I had no reason for living. My mother died when I was born. My dad had died and I had no reason for living. But I heard that lady singing tonight since Jesus came into my heart. And I heard another man singing, I'd rather have Jesus. And said, I heard you preaching and telling that Jesus loved everybody and was willing to save anybody who would trust him. And he said, that's the first time I've heard that message, but I want to trust him tonight. And that young man, 23 years old, trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. By the way, he forgot his desire for English. And all he wanted to do was read the Bible and pray and go visiting with me. And one night we were visiting after we had made some visits and we had eaten some noodles. And he looked at me and he said, Teacher, I'd like to spend the rest of my life just doing what you're doing. Now, he didn't know the terminology, but that's a call to preach, amen? And, but he said, now, I've got to go back and tell my, my mother, his stepmother. Actually, I didn't know that then, but it was. And my brother and my sisters, uh, what has happened to me? They were from a very wealthy family. His dad had owned a big implement company in Imeji, Japan. And uh, he said, I've, I've got to go tell them what I've done. I've become a Christian 
and I'm going to give my life to Christian ministry. Now, now uh, can you imagine, parents, some of you, if your son went off to college and then he calls you one day and said, Mom, Dad, I've been saved and God has called me to preach. That would make you happy, amen, but not in Japan. When he went back and he told me he was going and he said, please pray for me. And after three days, he came back to my house and he looked like a dead man. And he began to tell me, he said, Brother Sisk, I have not slept one hour since I left. Everybody in Himeji, my mother, my brother, my sisters, the Buddhist priest, the Shinto priest, the mayor of the city, they have all tried to make me denounce my faith in Jesus Christ and said, eventually, my mother said to me, Sogoro, you go to the tomb and worship your father and then tell him that you're sorry for what you've done. And he said, I told my mother, Mom, I can't do that. And they literally bodily threw him out of the house and said, don't ever come back here again. I had no idea what to say to him. And I said, Brother Ogawa, I have no idea what you're going through. But God knows. And we got on our knees that, that night, actually got on our faces before God. And I heard this, that young man pray like this. Dear Lord, I love my country. And by the way, he is thoroughly Japanese. I love my mother. I love my sisters. I love my brother. But dear Lord, I love you more than all of these. And all I could think that night was God is making a diamond. The only difference between a diamond and a piece of coal is the pressure applied. That was 1965. Last October, I went to Japan. By the way, I met one of your missionaries there, the Morgans. Wonderful. They're doing a wonderful job working in the Sydney Newtown Baptist Church. Brother Ogawa had been pastor of the Sydney Newtown Church for 51 years. Amen. They had grown to well over 600 members in the church, which is a miracle in Japan. Uh, they have started some 15 other churches. They have missionaries out of their church in eight different foreign countries around the world. They give about $400,000 every year to world evangelization. That's what God can do with somebody that would just say, I'll go. Look in your Bible. You've opened it to Acts chapter 16. Tonight, I would like to think with you about just one word. Maybe difficult for you to spell, okay? <clears throat> the word is open. O-P-E-N. Okay? In Revelation chapter 3, in verse 7, the Bible says, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these things saith he that is holy, 
he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. And tonight we're going to look at that word open in different ways. First of all, we realize that the Apostle Paul had an open mind. Look at it again in verses uh, 6 and 7 and so forth. And when they had gone through Pergia and the region of Galatia were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word. By the way, when you read that, you say they were forbidden to preach the word. Thank God he put in Asia. Amen. That's where Paul had planned to go. And when they were come to Mysia, they said to go into Bithynia. Okay, if, if it's not back to Asia, where Paul had wanted to go, <clears throat> he said, uh, maybe it's Bithynia. But again, the Bible said, the Spirit suffered them not. Uh, Dr. Warren Wisby, in his commentary on the book of Acts, made the statement about this, that the stops of a good man are ordered by the Lord as well as his steps. Now, Psalms 37, 23 says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. But also, not only the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, but the stops of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Paul had an open mind. Uh, I meet too many people, too many young people, too many young couples. They've decided this is where I'm going to live. This is the kind of lifestyle I'm going to live. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to be. And they don't consult God. Isn't it about time that we came to God with an open mind and said, in essence, dear Lord, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll be what you want me to be. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll say what you want me to say. Paul had an open mind. Pastor said to me not long ago, Brother Sisk, I believe God is finished with me here where I am. Do you know any churches in Florida that needs a pastor? Uh, Florida? Probably a lot of churches need a pastor. But that old man, that preacher, did not have an open mind. Would it not be wonderful tonight if all of us who are here tonight, students from the college, young people, old people, children, everybody, just to come before God tonight with an open mind. In other words, rather than saying, this is what I'm going to do, and you give this step to God and say, now, that's your will, isn't it? No. Wouldn't it be good if we had an open mind? Now, the second word is this. God gave to the Apostle Paul an open door. He closed the door to Asia. He closed the door to Mysia. 
But thank God when God closes one door, it's because he has another open door. And he, he opened the door. So look at verse 7. And when they were come to Mysia, they said to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they passing by Mysia came down to Troas. Underline that in your Bible. This was a good place for Paul. Now Paul and Silas had gone on the second missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas went on the first missionary journey. They got back to Antioch and they found out that Judaizers had come there and tried to confuse the people and tell them, it's good you trusted Jesus Christ, but you need to be circumcised. You need to keep the law and so forth. And they went to Jerusalem. And by the way, they got that thing straightened out. Amen. You're saved by grace plus nothing minus nothing. You add anything to grace and it is not grace. And then uh, they got back to Macedonia and uh, Paul said, uh, okay, let's go back again to where we've been. And let's go to, on another mission trip. And the Bible tells us that uh, Barnabas decided that he wanted to take John Mark with him. You remember John Mark went on the first trip? And things got tough and he left and went home, got homesick or whatever. <clears throat> and uh, Paul, and you know Barnabas, his name was Jose. Okay. And Barnabas is his nickname, son of encouragement. And Paul said, no way, Jose. Amen. We are not taking John Mark with us. I don't have time for a quitter. Hey, he'll just be baggage. We're not going to take him. And you would have never believed this, but the contention between them became so great that they decided to go their separate ways. So... Uh, Barnabas chose John Mark, and they went. And Paul chose Silas, and they went. I think this is where Independent Baptists got started. Okay, Barnabas, you go your way, and I'll go my way. Amen. But the wonderful thing about that, now you, you can check your Bibles. You never find one bad word that Paul said about Barnabas. And you never find one bad word that Barnabas said about Paul. They disagreed on something, but they didn't spend the rest of their life fighting each other. So when they got to Troas, uh, some good things. Now, they had met Timothy on the way, so the the missionary team is, is picking up. And when they get to Troas, lo and behold, they meet Dr. Luke. And uh, that's a good thing. You remember Paul had that thorn in the flesh, and he prayed three times that God would remove it, and God refused to remove it, but he said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. So he didn't relieve the thorn in the flesh, 
but he gave him a private position to travel with him. God knows how to take care of his people, amen. And at Troas, they met Luke. And at Troas, God saw it fit that he saw an open door to Europe. And aren't we glad that he did, that he went there? That's where our gospel came from. From Europe, the people came here and brought the message to us. Thank God for what happened at Troas. And they, realizing that God had called them to preach the gospel in Europe. And the first place they went to was the city of Philippi. By the way, that was the major city in that area. And that's a good thing for missionaries to do. Uh, if you reach the people in the major cities, then those people many times will filter out to the various areas of that world. But if you just go to the jungle, it'll just stay there. So, so they went to, to Philippi the first city that they went to, Philippi. And uh, there, again, now, we find an open Bible. Uh, look again, if you will, at some verses here, okay? And from thence they fell to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony in we were in the city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath day, when we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. Now, ordinarily, Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary tour, and even Paul and Silas, they would go to the synagogue. But evidently, in Philippi, there was no synagogue. Any city that had as many as 10 Jewish men would have a synagogue. So evidently there were not many Jewish people in Philippi. But notice what happened. We went out where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down. Now they didn't stand up and preach like I'm trying to do tonight. They just sat down. Okay. Let me read it again. When prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women. Isn't that strange? Paul saw this man from Macedonia saying, Come over and help us in Macedonia. And lo and behold, when he got over there, there weren't any men. There were just women. Thank God for women in the church. Amen. I mean, uh, I know churches that will not support single ladies. And I often tell them, if you take single ladies out of missions, there's going to be a big hole. Thank God for women. By the way, while I'm at it, Thank God for preachers' wives. Uh, 
I, I, I never will forget Thanksgiving night, 1954. Now, that's the dark ages for many of you. You weren't even born yet, so it's real dark, amen. But for some reason, Brother Jones would have a Thanksgiving service every Thanksgiving night. Now, I don't know why. Because after you eat a bunch of turkey, turkey all day, uh, and turkey makes you sleepy. Uh, I don't know if anybody heard anything in the message or not. But I did. Uh, God had been dealing with my heart about being a preacher. You know, in, in our church over at Black Oak at that time, just every once in a while, somebody would come forward and say, God has called me to preach. God has called me to preach. And every time they'd say that, I'd say, praise the Lord. God has all the preachers he needs now. But God was dealing with my heart about being a preacher. And that, that night, Thanksgiving night, 1954, I went forward and Brother Durwood Humble was doing altar work and I said to him, uh, Brother Humble, I know that God's called me to preach, but I don't know how in the world I can preach. And he said, Don, how did you get saved? I said, well, you know how I got saved. I got saved by the grace of God. He said, okay, if you ever preach, you'll have to do it the same way, by the grace of God. By the way, that was good, good, good advice in 1954, and that is good advice in 2024. Not only are we saved by grace, we walk by grace, we're kept by grace, we work by grace. It is all of grace. Then Brother Humble told Brother Jones, Don has come forward tonight. He believes God has called him to preach. And guess what he said, Pastor? Brother Jones said, Don, do you know God's called you to preach? I said, yes, sir. He said, okay, you can preach next Wednesday night then. And I, I thought, I'm not sure God called me that soon, amen. So I preach. I have no idea how to preach. Thank God we didn't have recorders back in those days. Three weeks after I made that commitment, I'll never forget, as long as I live, Virginia came forward weeping. And she said to the church, please pray for me. Since God has called Don to be a preacher, I want to be the best wife that I can possibly be so he can be all he needs to be. And by the way, no preacher is any more than his wife allows him to be. And after being married for 65 years on July the 8th, 2017, she breathed her last breath of earthly air and her first breath of celestial air. Now, at a memorial service, I could not help but think, if anybody ever made a commitment and kept it, it was her. I mean, everywhere I went, everywhere God led me, she was 100% with me. Amen. By the way, a lot of churches had me just so I'd bring Virginia, amen. But they sat down. And said, so now we have an open Bible. You say, wait a minute, Brother Sid. The New Testament hadn't even been written yet. 
Guess who wrote a third of it? Paul. Amen. So we have an open Bible. And, and can you imagine Paul sitting there listening to these ladies? And, and then he says, hey, hey, by the way, this, this is a wonderful prayer meeting. I appreciate all of you. Uh, could, could I talk about Jesus Christ to you all? He wasn't standing up and preaching. He was just sitting there talking with them. And I, I, I imagine he said something like this. Uh, Jesus Christ was the Son of God. Uh, he was born of a virgin. Uh, he, he, from the time of his birth until the time that he died on Calvary's tree, he lived an impeccable life. He had no sin whatsoever. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all manner tempted as we are, yet without sin. Thank God. He's the sinless son of God. And then he would say, and by the way, we're all sinners. Now you ladies are having prayer meeting and, and you're worshiping, but uh, if you have not trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, uh, you are a sinner. And if you should die in your sin, you would spend eternity separated from God. You say, wait a minute, where did Paul get all that? From God. Now he's going to write it down a little bit later, okay? But the thing about it is, we have an open Bible. And by the way, the Bible still says, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Before anybody can get saved, they have to hear the word of God. An open mind? An open door? An open Bible? And then we have something else that got open. Look at it. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened. You remember when somebody witnessed to you you remember when somebody preached to you and all of a sudden you realize God is speaking to me. And here is an open heart. God is speaking to this woman by the name of Lydia. Evidently a very wealthy lady, a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira. And God opened her heart. Thank God. When I went to a Youth for Christ meeting at, 16, at the age of 16, God opened my heart. Lydia opened her heart. God opened Lydia's heart. Hey, by the way, Contrary to what hyper-Calvinists say, Lydia could have rejected God. 
You know, one of the five points of Calvinism, and all of them are wrong, okay? But let me, let me just show you one, okay? One of them is irresistible grace. In other words, when God begins to deal with you, you cannot resist. Let me, let me read you one verse. Philip preaching. You stiff neck and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your father did. So do you. <laughs> Be good to read the Bible, amen? The Bible would correct a lot of false doctrine. God opened Lydia's heart. Aren't you glad he opened your heart? Now one other thing. Look at this. After Lydia had been saved, evidently she shared her faith with all of her household. And that was probably a pretty big number of people. And she was baptized in her household. Household salvation was not unusual. The jailer got saved in his household. You know, you could go on and on. Okay. <clears throat> then notice what happened. After she got baptized, notice what she says to Paul and to Silas and now Timothy and, and Dr. Luke. If you have judged me faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. You say, what's open there? Lydia's house. Lydia opened her house. She learned real quick. Okay? Now that I am a born-again child of God, I own absolutely nothing. Everything belongs to God. I own nothing. I am just a steward. What could happen if professing Christians in America realize that everything we have came from God and that we do not really own anything, we are stewards, and one day we will give an account for everything that God has put in our hands. A lot of good open things. Amen. Paul had an open mind. God opened the door to Macedonia. God opened Lydia's heart. Paul opened the word of God. You say, what's the big deal about opening her house? Tradition tells us that the early church in Philippi met in Lydia's house. Man, man, man. It's not mine to determine where I live. It's not mine to determine what I do. It's not mine to determine what God does with everything he's put in my hand. I'm not an owner 
I'm just a steward. If you're saved, it is because one day the Holy Spirit opened your heart. You listened and obeyed. Question tonight. Have you opened your heart? Have you opened your heart? And by the way, have you opened your house? Does everything that you have belong to God? Let's pray together. Pastor, come pray for us.